Need quality and accessible health care at a minimal cost? Get Antidote Health. We offer individual and family plans with zero co-pays for online doctor visits 24-7, pediatric visits, mental health care, and more. Some plans even have a cashback benefit, and you'll get access to top-tier providers like Cleveland Clinic. Open enrollment has started, so sign up today at antidotehealth.com slash start. Dollar copays and cashback not available on all services or prescription drugs. Consult your plan for more information. Israel is 5,690 miles away from the U.S., 11 hours by plane. Hate travels faster. In a comment, in a post, in a second. Jewish hate is up 388% in the U.S. Black hate, Muslim hate, and Asian hate are up too. When one hate rises, they all do. Let's stand up to all hate together. Share and wear the blue square from StandUpToJewishHate.org. Welcome into another edition of the Going Deep Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Masseri, here with Mike Bunt and producer Kevin later on in the show to go over the Bills 25-20 to 20 loss to Jacksonville, as well as New York Giants game. More importantly, the Giants game coming up on fold, Brian Dable's return, as we've mentioned here in the pregame show. So we got a lot to talk about both going forward, what's next for the team, as well as what we just saw and what we think that that'll mean going forward. As always, this show is brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. Go in there and check out all of their artwork. See a great picture of Jim Kelly and Josh Allen rendition behind me. That has been given to Jim Kelly. So it's been a really cool, uh, really cool thing to see. Mike, first and foremost, let's, let's see what you're doing today. I'm doing okay. Besides this miserable weather in Western New York right now, it, it finally feels like, the bad part of fall. But uh, other than that, I'm doing okay. I know the loss was disappointing this weekend, but uh, there's a stretch of games coming up ahead that are favorable to the Bills. Hockey season's almost here. Uh, So uh, I'm in a good mood. I'm ready to talk some Bills football. You got it. And there's, you know, we'll start with the, we'll we'll kind of start with the recap of the game first, and then we'll get into Giants talk here in a little bit. We won't belabor the point here. You know, we're already beyond 48 hours, you know, kind of postpartum here of the game. Uh, 25 to 20, the Bills looked sleepy for much of the game. The fourth quarter looked a little bit better. The second half in general was a little bit better. Uh, the first really quarter and a half were, were sluggish. The defense was in the game. Then they wore down and the offense kind of got started. And the defense was out of it, so they never were in sync. It was one of those games to where the two units were not in sync at any stage of the game. When the offense was rolling, they didn't get any defensive support and vice versa. The defense was rolling. The offense could not keep them on the field, uh, keep them off the field. And whereas they were converting some timely third down conversions over the Bills defensive backs. Mike, kind of what did you take away from that defensive performance by the Bills? Obviously, the Bills have lost Daquan Jones for foreseeable future, if not into January, and Matt Milano foreseeable future, if not into January. We don't know if either of them will come back right now, but we'll bring you notes and nuggets as we hear more on that. Uh, we'll maybe bring on Kyle Trimble into the show next week. That's kind of what I have jotted down to kind of talk a little bit more in depth about this, Mike. But 
What is your takeaway from this defensive scrappy performance? One, we had Dorian Williams in the game. You had Kyer Elam. You had Ingram go in for Elam late in the game. You had Dodson replacing Williams at times or McDermott trying to mix it up. And then you had AJ Epinesa really come through as not only a defensive end starter, but really a defensive end one by all of his metrics. Yeah, so let's first, um, I'm going to talk about what happened on Sunday. I, I wanted to I want to address the injuries and how the Bills defense will be moving forward later in the show because uh, I definitely have strong, some strong opinions. Uh, I think I differ from a lot of the fan base uh, on my feelings about the Bills defense um, in the upcoming weeks and the rest of the year. But as far as Sunday's performance, what you see is what you saw is the result of just dealing with a ton of injuries in a exhausted team. Uh, they entered the game without Greg Rousseau, Christian Benford, Shaq Lawson, Puna Ford was inactive. And then you right away have injuries to Daquan Jones, Matt Milano. You had Von Miller on a snap count. It, it was a defense that was put in a very difficult uh, position. And the Bills offense didn't make their job uh, any easier by struggling to sustain drives in the first half essentially keeping the defense on the field much longer than what uh, they really needed to be in order to try to uh, get their energy and keep their energy level at a high level. So my initial thoughts, it, it was a struggle. They, they, they scrapped it out. The, the fact that they held Jacksonville to 25 points was actually kind of impressive uh, considering the fact that the Jags were moving the ball all over them uh, for most of the game. Uh, the defensive line, when you don't have – Daquan Jones, that's going to make a difference, especially when Puna Ford would be one of the guys that you'd expect to step up is inactive. Uh, when you had A.J. Epineza playing tremendous football, those two sacks getting past deflections, he's showing he's a starting defensive end in this league. And I think next year he's going to get paid uh, pretty well, uh, probably not by the Bills, but by someone. Uh, and then on the other side, uh, Leonard Floyd is still playing good football. Um Bernard is still playing solid, but not having Milano, that hurts the entire uh, middle of the field. And having a Dorian Williams, who actually played okay at times, being forced into action, that's a tough thing for this defense. And on the back end, it's just clear Kair Elam just does not have it at this point in time. I'm not, I don't want to give up on him forever, but at this point, he can't see the field. He is a liability uh, out there. I know he's been working hard. He's trying to get himself in the, the right position. I, I give him, I, I credit him for all the work he's putting in, but Calvin Ridley had really struggled the last three weeks. And he looked like an all pro going up against Kyrie Elam. And you even saw how it really uh, impacted even the coaching staff and the, the play calls on defense late in the game, where on the third and longs, the bills felt like they had to blitz. They didn't trust Kyrie Elam would be able to hold up without any pressure and even with those blitzes, Trevor Lawrence was able to get good enough protection, get the ball out on time, and 90% of the time, Ridley was wide open. So it was a tough defensive performance. Uh, they battled. They ultimately held Jacksonville down enough to where the offense should have found a way to win the game. But I don't think what we saw Sunday will be symbolic of what we see going forward from this unit. Yeah, I think that the the Bills, to your point, Mike, are a little bit better off at the corner position than many think that they are. Like McDermott's going to always churn out these corners. I think missing Benford was bigger than we thought last week, especially. 
Uh, and then the ability to have Dane Jackson, the guy, you know, I criticize, but by all accounts and metrics, he does get the job done. Doesn't usually pass my eye test, but once again, my eye test is not better than than numbers at times. So just like I like to say in general, so he does get the, he is a competent corner. Um, you know, he does have some good metrics. He's very athletically um, kind of average or below average, um, but he seems to know the defense, be in the right place and do what he needs to do. And the Bills brought in Josh Norman as well. Interesting move. I believe that's a player coach move to the practice squad. No one knows this defense under McDermott better than him. He's played many years in it, uh, made a living in it. Don't think you'll see him on the field. I really don't. There'd have to be an emergency situation where he'd be able to go in there and do it. But I think it'll only help players like Benford and players like Hire Elam and Ingram and others who are in this system and may play before him. Uh, so we'll see if he's a player coach, if he's half and half, or if he's here to play. Um, we'll have to we'll have to kind of see what that looks like. But I, I look at it no different than like a Davis Webb on the practice squad. Um, when you have a Davis Webb, they're really just in the rooms and teaching what he sees and just a high level coach at the stage of his career. And there's no better way to do it than pay him that kind of salary on a practice squad number. It, it works out for the bills too, Mike. So I have no ultimate issues there. And by all accounts, I think that the bills could be aggressive in three weeks from today when we have a trade deadline, um, you know, coming, I, I, you, you've seen some more aggressive moves here already in the NFL. This isn't the years of the past where maybe only one player gets traded. Um, you kind of see these bigger moves happen. You have the Vikings, you have the Broncos, you have other teams that are willing to fire sale and help out. We're going to save some of that talk for later on as things become a little bit more clear. Uh, but it is something to keep your eye on at some of these positional rooms I uh, hear. So, so basically three weeks from today, maybe we'll have something additional to talk about there on that front. But as you look at the current roster, as it's constructed, they are carried as far as the defensive line takes them. AJ Epinesa has been a beast. Uh, he has been much overlooked last year. And we talked about his numbers being really good, being really like starter level numbers. And then you look at this year where he's only compounding the fact that he has been a fantastic football player. And one where you look at him on the sideline with the oxygen mask and you're like, when is he getting back in the game? Because he's that important to this game uh, to have on the field. So, and then the emergence of Kingsley Jonathan, a guy that snuck on the roster. I had him in my roster projections. He plays, he keeps playing well, five pressures, one of the highest rated players out of the game for the Bills. That defensive line rotation is still sick, even though Daquan Jones was playing at an elite level. He was unblockable. He was winning in double teams. His pass rush win weight was through the roof. He's one of the best. He was one of the he was on his way to all pro through through four point five weeks. Um, he was seriously one of the best defensive tackles in the game, playing better than your favorite defensive tackle uh, for the most part. So that is a that is a huge loss. But Puna Ford steps in. Could we have an addition there? I don't know. They saw four defensive tackles and five defensive ends. I don't know that you see anything on the D-line right now uh, happen. But, Mike, there is a lot to like about the Bills' defensive front. However, the elephant in the room, the loss of another All-Pro in Matt Milano, that's a topic I want to ask you about. Are you more worried? I mean, I think we're all through. Like, you can lose a game. Like, hopefully it doesn't hurt the Bills too, too much. But are you able to overcome the loss of Matt Milano and what he's able to do now when you have, yes, we want to see Dorian Williams, but you're going from Matt Milano to Dorian Williams. You're not going from a lesser player to Dorian Williams. Yeah, so Matt Milano is obviously the biggest loss of the three major losses the Bills have suffered on defense the last two weeks. And the main reason being they don't have an in-house replacement that you know you can depend on. So – 
I'll I'll answer the the Matt Milano part in a second, but I, I want to go through this this entire defense if you don't mind me quickly. So I still think this is a top ten defense, and people are going to say I'm crazy for for saying what I'm saying right now. They're going to regress. They're not going to be an elite top three unit like we have seen the last two years. But I've seen a lot of people saying the Bills cannot sustain a loss to Matt Milano, Daquan Jones, Trey White, and that this team is going to, they have no Super Bowl aspirations. I cannot disagree anymore with that statement. And to me, I think that is an instant overreaction hot take that is a a consequence of the social media hot take radio era where we just say stupid stuff constantly. The reason why I believe that, first of all, the Bills entered this year with five former All-Pros on this defense. They just lost two of them in Trey White and Matt Milano. They still have three remaining on this team, two of them being your safeties uh, and then Von Miller. When you have an elite defense that is consistently great on a year-to-year basis, anytime you have an injury, it's going to feel like a major injury. Yes, not all injuries are created equal, but if you go through the Bills starting 11 on defense, there's only one or two players on this entire defense that you wouldn't consider above average starters at their position. If it's Taron Johnson, one of the best nickel corners, if it's Micah Hyde, former all-pro safety, Jordan Poyer, former all-pro safety, Trey White, former all-pro corner, if it's Christian Benford, it's still a quality uh, corner. If you go through the defensive ends, you're talking about high-quality guys. The the defensive tackles, high-quality guys. There's only maybe three guys on the entire defense. If they went down, you would be like, eh, well, not the biggest loss in the world. But it's not just who goes down, but who replaces them. So you look at this defensive line. Daquan Jones goes down. That sucks. He, he had one of the highest double-team rates and one of the highest uh, win rates uh, in the league. So he's been dominant, like you said, on his way to um, – an all-pro season if he, if he would have stayed healthy. But this is why you signed Puna Ford. I'm not saying that Puna Ford is going to replace the production of Daquan Jones, but this is a guy that started 63 of his previous 65 games with the Seahawks the last four years. He's a guy that graded out prior to last season in the 70s and low 80s on pro football focus. He's a guy that was considered an above-average D-tackle. You still have Jordan Phillips. You still have Ed Oliver, Tim Settle. Ed Oliver is playing at a Pro Bowl pace right now. He already has four sacks, which is second in his career, with 12 games left in the regular season. You look at the defensive ends. You have four starting defensive ends on this team right now. Leonard Floyd already has five and a half sacks. He's on pace for a career high in sacks. You have uh, A.J. Epineza with three sacks, an interception returned for a touchdown. He's on pace for a career year. You have Greg Rousseau who would have been double-digit sack guy last year, who's off to a tremendous start this season. He's day-to-day. He'll be back sooner than later. Von Miller's coming back from injury. He's going to be good. This pass rush, and and hear, hear this out, Kevin. This is a crazy number. The Bills already have 21 sacks through five games. They are on pace for 70 sacks this season. 70. 50 is a crazy number. 50 is a great number. They are on pace for 70 sacks. And granted, they're probably not going to get to that number. But they're going to get a lot of sacks. This pass rush is elite. And when you have an elite pass rush, you can get by with having a lesser secondary or lesser linebackers. But this is the, the, the part why I still think they're going to be good. The secondary still is quality. 
Trey White is good. And he, he's a great player. But Trey White was not Pro Bowl Trey White anymore. He was very good Trey White, but not Pro Bowl Trey White. Dane Jackson has started 20-plus games with the Bills over the past two years. Christian Benford has showed, has shown that he is a good player. Everybody freaking out about last week realized Christian Benford wasn't on the field. Greg Rousseau wasn't on the field. They were missing a lot more than just Milano and Daquan Jones. Communication is key in the secondary with Poyer and Hyde. If you have a secondary of Poyer, Hyde, Benford, Jackson, and Taron Johnson, you're still going to be solid back there. You're still going to be solid. So what it all comes down to is linebacker play. What are you going to get out of Dorian Williams or Terrell Dodson, whoever fills in for Milano? It's going to be a noticeable drop. But is that the type of drop that gets you from being the third-ranked DVOA defense to being a bottom 10 unit? No. They are not dropping from number three in the league to the bottom 10. This is, I think, worst case, they're in the 10 to 15 range defensively throughout the rest of the year with the roster being the way it is right now at this point. And this is also why they drafted Dorian Williams. Uh, we were talking all offseason about how athletic he is. He is an athletic freak. He was 88th percentile on Raz, similar to Terrell Bernard. He runs a 4-4-9. He has the speed and athleticism to keep up. Now what he needs to do is get coached up and comfortable. And if you're going to be dealing with injuries as a premier football team, it is way better to be dealing with these issues week five, week six, than week 15, 16. This gives the Bills ample time to see the, what they have in these guys and try to address the problem and come up with solutions. The next three weeks, the Bills play the Giants, they play the Patriots, and they play Tampa Bay. The Giants are the 32nd ranked offense in the league. The Patriots are the 28th ranked offense in the league, coming off a shutout against the Saints. And the Bucs are led by Baker Mayfield in the definition of mediocre. To basically finish up, you never hear anybody right now saying that the Miami Dolphins are not a Super Bowl contender. Everyone, everyone you talk to will tell you that the Miami Dolphins are a Super Bowl contender. Well, you know what? Their defense is quite a bit worse than the Bills. So if you think Miami is a Super Bowl contender and the Bills aren't, you're saying that you think that a Tua-led offense is a world ahead of the Bills' offense. I don't agree with that. Kansas City last year won the Super Bowl with a 17th-ranked DVOA defense. They had six rookies playing on that team at times during that season. If we're going to say that Kansas City can win with an average defense, if we're going to say that Miami can win with a below-average defense, how the hell can the Bills not win? They have three months to figure it out. And I just have two things I want to pull up quick. This is the Super Bowl odds right now from after Sunday. Before the game, the Bills were plus 700. Now they range from plus 800 to plus 950. They're still the fourth best odds, according to Vegas. This is also a DVOA projection of the AFC East after Sunday's results. They still give the Bills a 90.5% chance of making the playoffs with a 55% chance of winning the division and still a 21% chance of getting the top seed in the AFC. These injuries matter, but they do not have as big of, a, as big of an impact as what fans are going to be making them 
Because in the reality, Kevin, you're big on war. You know war number, wins above replacement in baseball. If you have a wins above replacement around 10, that's a great number. But ultimately, it means you're making one extra win per 16 games you play. In football, the average defensive player doesn't even have a war of 0.5. You add up the wars of these three players combined, you're talking about maybe a win to two wins over the course of the season. So if you thought the Bills were going to win 13 games, maybe they win 11. If you thought they were going to win 11, maybe 10 or 9. They're going to be okay. Well, you started going single digits there, so you're starting to lose me well, a little bit. I, I mean, I don't know what the, the exact war numbers were. But the point being, the secondary is going to be okay. As long as they don't sustain another injury and then have to have Kyrie Elam play a bunch. And the, the defensive line is playing at a, a, a level that us in Buffalo haven't seen in over a decade. So the big question is, is there someone that can just play adequately at outside linebacker? And, and we'll see. I think even if outside linebacker is a struggle, this is why you have one of the best defensive masterminds in the NFL as your head coach. Because he can scheme around certain things. And they will make adjustments to find a way to get through. And I'm even saying worst case scenario, say the Bills defense does fall to 20th in the league which I think is way further than what it will drop overall. You still have Josh Allen as your quarterback. I don't think fans of the Patriots, fans of the Chiefs, fans of the Colts or the Broncos in the last decade when they had Peyton Manning, when fans of people that have Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes, I don't think they're looking at it as, damn, we had a few defensive injuries. Now we can't win a Super Bowl. They're looking at it as like, okay, offense, carry the load now, get it done. The Bills are averaging 31.8 points a game. I'm not going to freak out about a couple uh, players getting hurt, regardless of how good they are, because I'm not trying to downplay their significance. Those are all studs. But the Bills still have a lot of studs on this unit. Well, there we go. We got a um, 12-minute rant I'm by sorry. Mike Blunt. Live, live on air, everybody. 12 <laughs> minutes we got there. I was timing um, his soliloquy about uh, his opinions. So, uh you know, I think for me, the war, the war discussion on what was actually lost on Sunday, it what's is what needs to be discussed because, you know, over a 17 game, 17 week season, uh, there is only in the, in the sport of football, there's only a minimal war reduction. One of the biggest positions we all know is quarterback. That's what would really hamper your in big numbers, like big, big number war replacement. But even an offensive line in general, who might play good football, a war on that offensive line might only be a game above replacement for the entire five players playing good 1.5 maybe. So using these three players who probably are as good as it can, can be without being a quarterback and, and maybe digs um, you know, you would probably keep, these would not be the three players you would select. Therefore I do see maybe a game, but the problem is Mike, I think that game already happened. It was the Jacksonville game, that game, I think goes differently with their starters playing. I think you've already lost the war of that game. Josh Allen said it himself. The wind was sucked out of, out of him and the air was, it was, was strange feeling of watching, you know, some of their all pro players just in the same play, uh, leave the game. Um, you know, after a very ticky tack hands to the face penalty while Ed Oliver was being held, uh, that's, that actually was the five points the bills lost by. So, the war there, it was one of those other games with like the Jets where you had to have a culmination of things. In this case, the Bills missing their, their quality defenders, them losing 40 to 20 in time of possession, um, you know, an illegal hands to the face causing a five point penalty. Uh, 
Uh, those are the situations to where that you need to be the team like the Bills. And I just do not see those those coming very often. You may already have the one or two ch- times that that will happen this year. One being in London on a team with extreme data of staying there um, with extra time to rest. And Travis Etienne, a guy I really liked, I really wanted the Bills to draft, said it best that it was an absolute advantage to be able to do so. It wasn't the factor where when the Bills left because the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have been going there for many, many, many years, as said by Justin on our show last week, they do the same schedule, guys, the same schedule against Atlanta Falcons the week prior. You even have Tennessee Titans, after watching what the Bills did, the same schedule again going out there as well. The Ravens have flipped it up to try to go a little bit earlier. But the fact was you had a team that 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 does what they're supposed to do and leaving on a Thursday night, early Friday, get in, getting in, and a team that that was there for extra time, almost like an extra bye week, essentially, of not having to travel and essentially getting a home game. And Travis Etienne said his body was fully rested. It felt good. Um, those are all the things that you cannot say as you watch them roll out a fake turf overneath a beautiful grass in Tottenham Stadium. Uh, that was one thing that you saw some players and some players' wives come out and say they were not expecting that to happen. Need quality and accessible health care at a minimal cost? Get Antidote Health. We offer individual and family plans with zero co-pays for online doctor visits 24-7, pediatric visits, mental health care, and more. Some plans even have a cashback benefit, and you'll get access to top-tier providers like Cleveland Clinic. Open enrollment has started, so sign up today at antidotehealth.com slash start. Dollar copays and cashback not available on all services or prescription drugs. Consult your plan for more information. It's the Smucker's Uncrustables Radio Hour with round soft pillowy bread filled with delicious PB&J. Here's your host, Uncrustables. Caller on line three. What's eating you? No one. Crust, is that you? Ugh. Uncrustables are the best part of the sandwich. Sorry, Crust. I really appreciate you, Morning Mayan, for the super chat there for for Mike's 12-minute rant. (laughs) Uh, Run that back, anybody. That rant was brought to you by Sons of Erie, (laughs) www.sonsoferie.com. Get out there and check what Mike just had to say for a 12-minute period, hopefully making making you feel better, too. So we really hope what he was able to say brings this into light a little bit more. And same for us. The film film wasn't all bad. There were some good things on film. Ed Oliver's a game wrecker. And he's back, and he's going to maybe get some of his running mates back this week with Greg Russo. Uh, you have uh, how well AJ Epinesa has played. I mean, Terrell Bernard's now a pivotal part of this defense, um, and and Christian Benford couldn't come back at a at a, at a simpler and, and better time uh, than he can right now. So the penalties were rough too. That's never an excuse for this game, but they they were untimely, and it was a flag show for both sides. It was not a good football game to watch. You know, I thought the Bills did a great job making Trevor Lawrence hold on to the ball. For the amount of time that they had, I don't think that he particularly is somebody that would scare me deep into the playoffs in in, 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 in Buffalo late in the year. It, it wasn't one of those kind of things where I don't think they did too much. If the Bills had 40 minutes time of possession, Mike, what do they do with that? They score 40. Um, so I don't think that there's a situation to where if that's how you're going to handle your 38 uh, minutes and 12 seconds against the Buffalo Bills, I'm not too worried about anything else. They needed to score more points than that against a backup, really twos and threes of the Buffalo Bills for the most part. You had their starting safety core. You had Taron Johnson out of the game. You had a you had a situation, Mike, with Kingsley Jonathan, who was banged up throughout the day. Kendall Vickers playing mm-hmm. defensive end with for as good as these just defensive line as we just have gone over this whole show. Kendall Vickers playing defensive end. 
And then if Ed Oliver wasn't on the field, you're looking at Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle. You're looking at complete backups for, for a lot. And then you had a rotation at one of the linebacker spots. You had doing something at the other cornerback spot. And you had Dane Jackson, who's already a fill-in. You know, he was not the starter to start the year, no matter what you think of Dane Jackson. Some like him, some don't. I don't. But I see why he's valuable. He's not a starter. He was not a starter to start the season. He lost his job to Christian Benford, period. He's only in the game for Trey White. So you have backups across the field, except at the safety position. Uh, and you had twos and threes in there for a majority of the day. I thought they did pretty good, though a little bit inflated because they just weren't getting off on the getting off the field on third down. Allowing 10 conversions is too many. I don't just point to the offense. Your defense needs to get off the field occasionally to give the ball to the Bills for more repetition to increase when that onslaught of Bills offense in the fourth quarter came. They needed to get off the field in timely spots. They weren't able to. I have a hot take for you. I I, I have a hot take for you. Maybe this isn't even a hot take. If Greg Rousseau and Christian Benford play that game, the Bills hold that Jags team to like 13, 14 points. I I, I think. Well, I got five off penalty, so I agree. Yeah. Because my belief is single-handedly two things cost the Bills defensively in that game. One, they had they just couldn't get anything out of Kyrie Elam. He was burnt the entire day. He was a liability. He was getting picked on in every big situation, and that was a large reason why the Bills couldn't get off the field. Number two, you mentioned it. The defensive line was forced to play backups almost the entire late portion of the game because A.J. Apeneza was completely exhausted Von Miller was on the He's also not a starter, by the way. Yeah, so and so you have Kendall Vickers and J- Kingsley Jonathan being forced to take critical snaps in late moments. And e- even with Elam, it got so bad they're putting in Jamarcus Ingram, a former UDFA out of UB, part of an awful UB secondary uh, his senior year, somehow now being an NFL player. I'll tell you what. I remember talking to certain coaches at UB that never thought he would be an NFL player, but uh, credit to him to getting to this point. But if they would have had a Greg Rousseau and a Christian Benford, I think that would have been enough of a difference to really drastically alter the outcome because I don't think Benford would have been toast against Ridley the entire game. Yeah, they would have converted a few times. I don't think it would have been the entire game. And I think Rousseau being in the game – would have helped in a little bit with the run defense. And it also would have helped a little bit with the pressure. I feel like the bills got to the point where they thought they had to blitz on some important situations just to try to alter and get in Lawrence's head and and credit to Lawrence. He stepped up big, but the, the important thing to take away from Sunday is that that wasn't a true representation of the Buffalo bills defense. And that is not what we will be seeing in the weeks to come. It's one thing to lose one or two players in the game. Uh, that's bad enough. But when you go into that game already minus three players that have gotten a decent amount of playing time for you, you're really down five players in that situation. And that that put the defense in just a, a horrendous situation. And, and the offense needed to do a better job uh, of helping them out and sustaining drives. And, and it wasn't that wasn't something that happened until late in the game when they were in pass only mode at that point. And shout out to the Bills pass blocking, still keeping Josh Allen's clean tooling. Speaking of you, you mentioned the Bills sack totals to begin with. They've only allowed two uh, two sacks over the last three weeks. So 
at some point that is effective football. You're not going to see too many 20 point performances like you saw with 18 minutes. I mean, that's hard to get anything going with 18 minutes. Like the defense did need to get, um, get, get the bills, uh, the ball a little bit more. They did play well. They did, they did do what they wanted to do in stretches, especially in the red zone. I think that they needed to continue to get the ball back to the bills. Um, Carl says flip that though. The offense needed to get first down once in a while to give the defense some rest. Punting six times killed our exhausted defense. Yeah. I mean, you, you can look at it like that for sure too. I'm definitely somebody that subscribes to the fact of a defensive coach with a defensive team in terms of how he's coaching. I would love to give the ball back to Josh Allen and I subscribe to not necessarily blaming Probably the reason the Bills are, to Mike showed the statistics earlier and the odds of the reason why those odds and the DVOAs and a lot of the offensive stuff are still in the favor because of Josh Allen. So I do think that he was sluggish. He was making the throws, though. His numbers were elite. There was a lot of things coming out, including um, you know all of his EPA, his, his points that he effectively created by his play. Um, which is a, a, a yard, a yardage thing. How well is he moving the ball? Our air yards. There's a couple of factors in there. How you know a third and five run where you get six yards is 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 a way better play than six yards on a third and ten. Simplistic stuff like that, um, where his numbers were still really good. And he had a couple of untimely drops, a couple of untimely penalties. Um, I just needed to get the ball back into his hands in those situations. Yes, he could have moved the ball. But realistically, the way he played with the way the game flow went, I needed the way it was going. I needed more stops from the defense in this specific. You can't allow 10 conversions. Uh, that's that's just never going to work out well for you, except if you think you're going to get in a huge battle. They were mm-hmm. unable to get him off the field. But, Mike, we have a Giants game coming up, and we could we could kind of break down the nuances of these. The air yards where Josh Allen were number one in the league. Like, there's so many good stats. This wasn't the Jets game where Josh Allen was completely poor. Um, this was a game where he's only furthering his status. It I would have liked to see a little bit better first half, but I'm not going to 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 harp too harshly on that uh, in that performance. So before we get into the New York Giants, we're going to bring up producer Kevin here on the show here in a moment. It is our old producer, AJ Sabolski's birthday. So shout out to him, even though I don't get shout outs on his show. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, I'm going to give him a shout out for his birthday. And I told him he could pick a quick segment that he wanted us to talk about. So Mike and I will talk for a brief time. He wanted us to rank the Bills running back. So we're going to do that real quickly. And then we're going to get into the Giants game and bring up producer Kevin here um, as well. But first, we're going to have a quick uh, break to hear what a uh, little bit from Greg and Aaron. Many people ask us the best way to support us here at Cover One, and that is to sign up to become a Cover One One Pass member. That contribution helps give us the access to all the data and information we use to create the content that you love. And I think most importantly, brings you into our community of insiders. It's a great community based on Slack. I know a lot of people don't want to be on social media anymore, be in on those conversations. We bring all of it to you right in our great community of educated fans. And most importantly, you get access to our content creators. Even better than that, everybody loves merch. You get awesome t-shirts, a cool decal, and a letter from the Cover One team signed directly to you. All for $60. That gets you the entire season, next year's free agency and draft. 60 bucks. Click the link in the description. Cover one insider. Become one today. There we have it. Um, so what I promised AJ, we're going to rank some running backs, Mike. We're going to bring up producer Kevin to see what he has to say about this as well. 
he picked a select few running backs. We're going to spend just a few moments on this of how we would rank these players. Um, and I will start. So he gave us a specific list of players and you guys can follow along here of their bills, basically starting running backs over the last 12 years or so roughly if I'm going back far enough, but here's my ranking of the bills running backs. Um, and these were selected by him. This isn't just any running back ever. I got LaShawn McCoy as the best running back on the list. I got Fred Jackson two. I got CJ Spiller three. I got James Cook four, Devin Singletary five, and Booby Dixon six. Um, that, so that, that was random. He had Booby Dixon included in there. Yeah, not Gore. Um, yeah, a couple others. But that's it, that's my list. And I think obviously Cook could jump Spiller, and he's got a little ways to go to jump Jackson. But right now, that's. Uh, that's where I'm at with how uh, about with the my spelling list. too. AJ just completely botched LaShawn McCoy. He, he spelled it lesson McCoy. Uh, <laughs> no, so. uh, didn't capitalize the first S didn't have E a N. I got to question him as a bills, uh, Twitter personality after that, but, uh, I'm going to, those are the only look, running backs he, he's seen in his adult life. I think. Yeah, I, that's fair. Like LaShawn McCoy was probably the guy that he saw for the most. Uh, LaShawn McCoy is the easy number one. Uh, he, he, is one of the best running backs of the last 25 years. So he's easily number one. I wish he would have went a little bit further back because it would have been nice to then compare Fred Jackson to uh, Willis McGahee, Marshawn Lynch, Travis yeah, uh, Henry, hard. because I think then you have an actual discussion of who's two, three, four. I think I would probably put uh, Willis McGahee. Uh, no, I'd put Fred Jackson too, then Willis McGahee. Uh, then we're not adding running backs. These Travis are the running backs he gave us. Yeah. Okay. I, I, we won't add them. So I'll go Fred Jackson two, CJ Spiller three. I'll go Devin Singletary four, Ooh. just because while I think James Cook is the more talented of the two, he is only in the second year, and I need to see more out of him before I put him ahead of a running back that's actually had three productive seasons, four productive seasons with this organization already. Then I'll go. Um, Cook and Booby Dixon. Again, I don't know why he was included in this and not Frank Gore. Uh, maybe he just wanted us to say uh, Booby on, on the podcast. So good job, AJ. Uh, good job. You Kevin, do you, do you agree with, I mean, there's really not much movement here. Do you think, uh, do you, do you think that it's Cook or Singletary there for the four spot? I think Booby Dixon's the best out of this group. Oh, boo. Yeah. I mean, sure. <laughs> I mean we should, we should have ranked it like totally random. You know, I like that. I like that move. Um, but there you have it. There's our running back rooms, Kevin. What do you say? Any, any, any final thoughts of, of the, of the running back rankings? I would say the only thing that I would potentially change is swapping James Cook with CJ Spiller, because I think Ooh. that he can be the glorified version of Spiller because okay. Spiller is supposed to be that electric weapon. And he was for a couple of years and then he just fell off. So if Cook continues to be impressive, I think you slot him in right behind Fred Jackson. Yeah, we need back to back like roughly thousand yard years, and then he he can he, he can take it. I think it's possible. But right now, Mike has him two below that. I have him one below that. So we all have a little bit different. There you have it. Um, now we have a Giants game to look forward to. We have a lot to go over with that. We chose to kind of talk us three today. Usually, we bring a guest on, but I think like with their banged up nature of their roster, I don't. It's tough to break down a lot. I don't know what they, they have four and, and a fifth nagging injury on their starting offensive line. So it's really tough to make you have a quarterback with a neck injury. You have Saquon Barkley. Is he wrapped up? Is he playing? Is he just going to wait a few more weeks? Is he just going to go on a bum ankle? Looked pretty bad at the time. So 
um, you know, would like to see him play in this game. And then you have, a, a, you know, a, a few defensive injuries as well. Like you don't, you don't even know who you're going to see on this Giants team. So the one starting talking point I wanted to start with here, you know, today was does Brian Dable have enough talent, even with what he knows about Josh, what he knows about Western New York, what this means to him, friends and family. Like if this was a meaningless game against the Chargers, I think the Chargers dog walk them. Like I just think they absolutely crush them. Like I don't even think it's close. I think it's a bad loss, but he's got something to play for here. Do you guys subscribe to that, Mike? Do you subscribe to that? I mean, they're missing, you know, Micah McFadden, Ozzie Ojari. Because I guess you could say, could there be extra motivation for his players to try to win one for, for Brian Dable? Is that a thing? Maybe a little bit, but how much will that actually matter when you are the vastly inferior roster overall? I don't think at the end of the day that makes up for the talent gap uh, between these two teams. Uh, I'm pretty sure that NFL teams are going to be extra motivated early in the season just to to prove how good they are uh, to begin with. But maybe there is a little extra motivation, but the talent gap is very real uh, in this contest. You're talking about the Bills being the second DVOA team, taking on the 32nd DVOA team. The Giants, by all uh, intents and purposes are the worst team in the NFL at this current moment. Maybe Carolina is slightly worse because they haven't gotten a win yet, but all the models are very, very, very low uh, on the Giants. And it's not just one side of the ball. The Giants right now offensively are 32nd and defensively are 28th in DVOA. He uh, talked about their offensive line. They have allowed 30 sacks in five games, Kevin. 30. They are on pace to allow 102 sacks this year. <laughs> I have never heard that number in my life. I remember when David Carr was a rookie for the expansion Houston Texans. And a lot of people at that time said he shouldn't be playing because he doesn't have an offensive line that can protect him. At that moment in time, he got sacked about 76 times that year. And that was a beating. Daniel Jones has already gotten sacked 28 times in five games, the other two obviously when he was out. The Bills, on the other hand, are on pace for 71 sacks this year. They've already had a nine-sack game against Sam Howell. So you're putting up maybe the worst offensive line in football with a quarterback in Daniel Jones that holds on to the ball sometimes too long, doesn't see where pressures are coming from, doesn't diagnose things great, up against one of the best defensive lines in football. I mean, I'm never going to count a team completely out, Kevin, because strange things happen in the NFL. You can win on any given Sunday, but I would be really, really surprised uh, if the Giants are going to keep this close. And there's really only one thing that gives me any reason to think that. And that was a, a number I saw online that said out of the 11 teams that played in London, I think their next game back in the States, all 11 of them either trailed or were losing at some point in the fourth quarter of their next game um, in the States. So maybe there's still some uh, some lag from the, the travel, the trip. But if you're just looking at these two teams on paper, there is nothing that suggests this should even be close. Kevin, I want to get your thoughts on that too, but briefly, why don't you tell us, like wrap up a little bit about what we were talking about with Matt Milano and the Bills defense here as, you know, will it affect some of this lag, meaning one of the bigger portions of what came out of this were the injuries. So will some of that defensive injury lag 
on top of the the kind of the numbers that Mike was just talking about with how you coming off of a London game isn't very favorable. So they need to do something with this series, in my opinion, and unless you're going to move Jacksonville there or something like they got to do something with this um, in terms of these numbers during, around, before, after. They're just not great. So why don't you start there and tell us what your thoughts are on Matt Milano, the Bills defense in general with the injuries, and is there going to be a lag um, as the Giants come to town Sunday night? Well, the one thing I'll say about the Giants game for now, because like you said, I definitely want to talk about Milano and what that means for the team moving forward. If Brian Dable is smart enough to attack the weak side linebacker for the Bills, presumably Dorian Williams, I think that's their only chance of winning. That and having Saquon back. If they can be so smart and healthy that they can attack this weakened Bills defense, then maybe they have a chance. But like you said, Mike, I just don't see them having enough firepower to take down the Bills. So that being said, going back to the Bills now, they have three winnable games coming up, and they essentially have to win these. These are must-win games because looking at the rest of the schedule, it's only going to get rougher. And I saw someone mention this in the comments. We'd be naive to think that they won't suffer any more injuries this season. And that's just the unfortunate business of the NFL. Guys are going to get hurt, and, and it sucks. I've been in a funk ever since. I appreciate your positivity, Mike, because that made me feel a little bit better listening to that. Um, I do want to say I do feel better after I saw some reports that, first of all, McDermott did not rule out Milano or Daquan Jones for the whole season. So that is encouraging. And based on some reports that I was reading on Twitter, um, you mentioned Kyle and the thigh doc too. You know, they're just some different, uh, personal um, opinions that are out there, educated opinions, I should say. But what I'm seeing is these could both be three month injury, three month injuries. And if that's the case, the playoffs start in exactly three months. So I know that is best case scenario, and that's asking a lot. That's a tough task. But like for me mentally, that made me feel better because I felt like a boulder was on my chest on Sunday night and Monday. And then I felt like that got lifted a little bit. I was like, okay, there's a little bit of breathing room. Now you're telling me there's a chance. So that made me feel better. And I think what this comes down to starting with this game against the giants is that the offense is going to have to carry this team. So before we get into the offense, I just want to say one last thing about Matt Milano. There is no replacing Matt Milano. It's impossible. That is how good he is. I would argue that he is the most important player on that Bills defense and the third most important player on this team behind Josh and Stephon Diggs. Because he is a guy who literally does everything. He can defend the pass. He can defend the run. He's athletic. He's smart. He's instinctual. He communicates well. Like literally everything you want to do, he does as a linebacker. And it sucks because we're Bills fans. And we would love to have him on the field, but Bills are having a lot of primetime games coming up now. And I feel bad for football fans in general that they will not be able to watch Matt Milano on the football field because him and Fred Warner are arguably the top two off-ball linebackers. I mean, Milano was first-team All-Pro last year. He was a pro bowler. And this year, I would have to check, but I think he was on pace to have a, a career high in tackles. He only had... 101 as good as Matt Milano is the most tackles he's ever had in a season was 101 so he already had 30 tackles he had two interceptions he forced a fumble and he was just all over the field and the stat that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about 
was that his passer rating allowed one targeted was a 28. The next best linebacker was Ernest Jones with the 52.1. That's not anything to be scoffed at. I mean, that is a huge separation, 28 to 52. And then for what it's worth, Terrell Bernard was fifth with, I believe, a 55 point something. But that shows the separation that Matt Milano has on the rest of these linebackers. And, you know, going back to how I opened this up, that means that the Bills are going to have to carry this team offensively because the Bills are still going to be good defensively, but they're not going to be dominant. So that means that Allen has to be on his A game, Diggs has to be on his A game, and Ken Dorsey. The pressure just ramped up for Ken Dorsey this year. I think you can make an argument, though, that have the Bills has the Bills defense stepped up against big time opponents in recent years. We yes, the defense has had elite numbers in the previous seasons, but when they've played massive, high volume, high high scoring offenses, they haven't had their best days, and, and we've seen that in the playoffs where. Even when they've had Matt Milano, this team has gotten torn apart at times. So I don't really think it's a situation of where the Bills ever really could depend on their defense against the best of the best. It was always going to be needing Josh to carry them whenever they played a Kansas City or a Cincinnati because, quite frankly, the Bills have never shut down either of those teams when they would play them. There, there was the one Sunday night game where it was raining, where Mahomes had some struggles. There's been games where the Bills have had timely plays, like the Taron Johnson interception to seal a game and the Von Miller sacks. But realistically, the Bills defense has not won them major games outside of really dominating subpar competition in the average teams. The Bills defense has done great against the 80% of the league. That's why their numbers have been great. Need quality and accessible health care at a minimal cost? Get Antidote Health. We offer individual and family plans with zero co-pays for online doctor visits 24-7, pediatric visits, mental health care, and more. Some plans even have a cashback benefit, and you'll get access to top-tier providers like Cleveland Clinic. Open enrollment has started, so sign up today at antidotehealth.com slash start. Dollar co-pays and cashback not available on all services or prescription drugs. Consult your plan for more information. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. They have struggled against the good teams. And I think what also helps this loss a little bit more than what we would have thought before the year is that before the season, we had no idea what Terrell Bernard was. And I I know we take all PFF grades with a grain of salt because some of them are just widely off and not even worth bothering. But if you look at the, the grades right now for Bernard and Milano, Milano was a 73 Matt Milano was a uh, 72. So, no, Milano was a 73. Bernard was a 72. Pardon me. But the fact is, it's not like they're now two horrible linebackers. They have a linebacker that has stepped up, that is playing well, who has been doing a good job in coverage in the middle of the field. Terrell Bernard is doing his job. Right now, the, the question is, can they – 
get Dorian Williams in there and can he figure things out on the fly? He's not going to be Matt Milano. We all know that. But they just need him not to be a massive, massive liability. And I don't think it's too much to ask Dorian Williams to just be okay. And if he's okay, this defense is not going to fall to be 18th, 19th, 20th. They'll fall from third to maybe ninth, 11th, 12th. And if you're, this is a defense that's allowed around eight, 17 to 18 points a game the last two years. If they suddenly now allow 21, 22 points a game, how much is really changing when you have an offense that currently is scoring 31.8 points a game and last year scored 28 and a half points a game? It's really not that much. So like when, when you put it into context and you, you look beyond just the players that are down and you actually put numbers next to it, those three players are not going to be worth more than five, six points a game. The Bills offense still scores enough to to carry them uh, on a on a game-by-game basis for the most part. Yeah, Mike, I agree, but I'm looking at it from a different point of view as well because, you know, those are huge losses. And that Miami game, that was probably the best defensive outing that we're going to see from a complete defensive standpoint. Maybe they're going to have a better game like the Giants. Maybe they completely shut them out or the Patriots. But from a health standpoint, that was like our high point this year, just having everyone healthy and active. And the fact that they held that high-powered offense to 20 points, they came off of a 70-point performance, and the Bills essentially dominated them. That was amazing. So the thing that I'm worried about now is I I think they can still – be a productive defense. And like you were saying, the offense is going to have to win them games. And that's what they've been doing right along. I mean, this is an offensive driven league and I agree. But the thing that concerns me now is will the offense feel too much pressure? Because the bills had a great balance of knowing that they had a great offense and a great defense, like talking about dolphins game, the defense did their part. The offense did their part. And what my concern now is, is that Josh is going to start pressing and Dorsey could potentially start pressing because they just got Josh out of playing hero ball. You know, the Jets game happened and they say, hey, look, Josh, we have a great team around you. Take what the defense gives you. Our defense is going to shut them down. We'll get the the ball back and we're going to go down the field and score. But now the defense has lost three key players, one on each level. I'm not sure if we mentioned that yet, but a defensive tackle, linebacker, and a cornerback. I'm just concerned now that the offense is going to start pressing and feeling like they have to do too much, and we could start seeing some of that hero ball once again. That's not going to happen. Uh, These guys have been playing football for a long time. They That's not what goes on during a locker room. They have to trust each other, and they have to trust the next man up. And they realize – that these losses will definitely impact the defense as a whole. But they also realize that they have a, a very, very talented group still. Inside a locker room, a team is not going to suddenly start pressing because they lost the linebacker. It, we, we went through the, the secondary. All of the guys starting the secondary are still are, are guys that have started 20-plus games outside of, outside of Benford. The entire defensive line, are guys that have that are veterans and guys that are plenty of experience. The the linebacking core is going to be a struggle at times. Yes. But 
there's a reason why a lot of people say that linebacker is similar to running back in football. It's a position that has become more of a coverage position in recent years and less of that run-stopping ability. Now, Milano was good doing both. That's why he was so special. The reason they drafted Dorian Williams is because of his athletic upside. They think he can be uh, that type of guy that Milano is. Now, he's not there right now, but Dorian Williams was drafted in the third round because they one day think he's going to be the starting outside linebacker on this Bills team. It's not like fans gave up on Bernard last year, and we're seeing how good Bernard is right now. In an ideal world, the Bills would want Dorian Williams to have a redshirt year or two and then take over. But now he's getting forced into the fire. Sometimes that's not the worst thing in the world. Sometimes you put a guy in the fire and then you realize, damn, this guy has some game. Now, I'm not saying that Dorian Williams is going to be Milano day one. I, I don't even expect him to be close to Milano. But this is happening week six. The Bills are going to safely make the playoffs unless something crazy happens. Dorian Williams now has 11 weeks to get acclimated to this defense. It doesn't matter what they look like right now. It matters what they look like in the middle of January. And if you give any player 10, 11 weeks, especially one with the upside to be a day two pick in the NFL draft that runs a 4-4-9-40 and has an 88 percentile in the Raz, meaning that he's more athletic than 80% of the drafted linebackers in the NFL in the last 40 years, they're going to believe that they can teach him something. Let's also remember who's coaching up Dorian Williams right now. Bobby Babbage Jr. Bobby Babbage Jr. is one of the best position coaches in the entire NFL. He is a future defensive coordinator, and if he does well with that, he might be a head coach one day. You're talking about the coach that Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer had their all-pro seasons under. Then last year, transitions to linebackers coach, Matt Milano has an all-pro season. Now, Terrell Bernard, as a first-year starter, is looking like an above-average linebacker after barely playing last year. If there was a position where you're going to have an injury where you have a coach with raw ball of play that you want to coach up, it would be whoever is under Bobby Babbage Jr. Because he will make sure that they learn and that they are doing the right things. Now, it's, it's going to be ugly at times. There's going to be mistakes. But the Bills have one of the best point differentials in the NFL. They entered this weekend with a plus 84. Now they're plus 79 through five games. So over the last three years, they had something like a plus 540 or plus 550, which means on average, they win each game by 10 points. When you are winning your average game by over 10 points, even if your defense allows five, six points more per game, which realistically probably shouldn't happen with the guys on their defense, that still gives you five points of spread to where you're still going to win the, the those majority of the games. When you're beating teams by 20, now you're just going to beat them by 13. Like it, it doesn't suddenly change everything drastically. And I, I do want to say a couple things about the offense too. For the people that have given up on the Super Bowl hopes and have given up uh, on the Bills' chances this year, if you think that Josh Allen is a franchise quarterback, that is the second best quarterback in the NFL, you can't then also simultaneously give up on their chances. Because if you truly are a franchise quarterback and the second best quarterback in the league, then your team is always in the game regardless of if you have the third-ranked defense or the 25th-ranked defense. 
you're not a franchise quarterback if you don't have the ability to carry your team. And I saw a comment earlier that said, well, Philip Rivers never did it. Philip Rivers is the hall of very good. He was a good quarterback. Very good. Philip Rivers was not a Peyton Manning. He was not a Tom Brady. He was not a Patrick Mahomes. He did not have the ability to carry a team. He barely won in the playoffs. He barely did things. Josh already has four playoff wins. And I got a few things about Josh right now because a lot of, he seems to be a hot topic after these games against Jacksonville and, and New York Jets earlier this year. And a lot of people have been attacking Ken Dorsey too, which we can have a conversation about that at a later time. Josh Allen through five games this year is on pace for a career high in completion percentage, a career high in passing touchdowns, and a career high in passing yards. Josh Allen is on pace for the best passing season of his career right now. So there's a lot of talk about how this offense just looks disgruntled. This offense looks bad. Josh is on pace for around 37, 38 touchdown passes, 4,700 plus yards, and he has a completion percentage in the 70s. The Bills are scoring 31.8 points a game. The leaders in the NFL last year were Kansas City at 29 points a game. So the Bills are three points higher than the top team in the league last year. And Kansas City played the Jets, and they played Jacksonville this year. They scored 40 combined points in those two games. The Bills scored 36. Kansas City scored 17 points against that same Jacksonville defense. They scored 23 against the Jets. Against the Jets, Mahomes had two interceptions, should have been three, had a fumble, recovered it. Josh Allen, three interceptions, fumble, didn't recover it. We, we got to, like, put things in perspective. Like, this offense is cooking right now. They had a bad day against a good defense, a defense that has given maybe the greatest quarterback for the last five years, and a guy that's going to be an all-time great when it's all said and done, trouble as well. When you keep in perspective, you realize things are not as gloom and doom as what a lot of people want to make it out to be. This defense could allow 24 points a game, and I'd still have faith they'd find a way to win 10 games and make the playoffs. But they're not. They allowed 10 points a game, basically 12 points a game around that area before this Jacksonville game. And even with all those guys, they played a former number one overall pick quarterback. They played a team with uh, Christian Kirk. They played a team with uh, Evan Ingram, with Calvin Ridley, Travis Etienne. And they held them to 25 points against Tra uh, Trevor Lawrence. That is the, the worst defensive lineup you will see all season playing for the Bills. The worst defensive lineup you will see all season. UDFAs, practice squad guys, guys that had no right being on the field. And they allowed 25 points against a former number one overall pick quarterback who has three great receivers, a good tight end, and a first-round pick running back. Need quality and accessible health care at a minimal cost? Get Antidote Health. We offer individual and family plans with zero co-pays for online doctor visits 24-7, pediatric visits, mental health care, and more. Some plans even have a cash-back benefit, and you'll get access to top-tier providers like Cleveland Clinic. Open enrollment has started, so sign up today at antidotehealth.com slash start. Dollar copays and cashback not available on all services or prescription drugs. Consult your plan for more information. One thing I did hear earlier this week, real quick to, to wrap up some news and notes. I did hear Matt Milano had surgery on the upper leg. My expectation is quicker than four months at this moment. So I do believe there's some 
availability at some point in January. We'll see if they do deem that the ligaments were okay. We don't know anything about that yet. So <clears throat> I believe they are okay, but we don't know anything for certain. But if it's just the leg, I do anticipate it quicker than a four uh, four month rehab and potentially playoff. And that's probably why McDermott was hesitant. And that's what I've heard um, from there. Uh, as far as Daquan Jones, not sure on surgery there. And Trey White, I'm I'm not overly sure on the Achilles there as well. So I'm not I sure. Daquan is in New York City today. So I think that would imply that he's en route yeah. to get his surgery. So that should be coming pretty soon here. There is some info too about the torn pecs. If it's uh, less severe, it could be uh, a four to, I think it's a six to eight week if it's less severe. If it's a more severe injury, it could be a three to four month recovery so base the the two things are going to be the severity of the injury and then how quickly he can heal after the injury you're hoping if it is something severe that it's on that lower end of the time frame where three months and hopefully he can be back for the beginning of the postseason or late in the regular season depending on on, on what level what degree he actually suffered there you go. So I think that there's definitely still some hope at this point based on the timelines, what we've been hearing. Um, so we'll see how that all plays out and we'll bring anything as we know inside the team or inside of our player sources. So we'll see what happens there with those injuries, but it's looking like at this point, three months either way. Um, and we'll see if anything makes that drastically go up or down. But the good news is I do believe that bowl should be back in full strength around close to to the spring to OTAs and whatnot. There should be no issues there. Unlike some injuries like Trey two, two twice. I mean, Trey should be back at some point for uh, training camp based on that. Um, and depending on what kind of Achilles surgery, if he gets the, the Rogers, the new school bracing technology, that should be something he is much ready for as well um, around the spring into the summertime. So the good news is you should have all three of them to start preseason um, as compared to missing Vaughn and, and the previous injury to Trey, where you missed them for for uh, you know over a year, a year, eleven months. Uh, but Vaughn's going to only end up missing. You know, he did play obviously. You know, he didn't talk a ton about Vaughn Miller. The Bills only are going to be missing him for you know the total of his six games he missed last year on top of the four. So he missed ten games. It doesn't feel like it feels feels like more. Um, but that is the ultimately didn't even miss a full season worth of games the way that the schedule fell. So 10 games was what Von Miller was out. And hopefully with why I wanted him to play and why I thought the Bills could be quote unquote aggressive, 20 snaps, 30 snaps, 40 snaps. And then that's probably around what he'll normally get 40 to 45 snaps, 50 snaps in a game. So I wanted that clock to start now so that if they need to utilize him throughout the season, he's ready to go rather than having to pull him off the list, hope to ramp him up to fill in. So I think that the Bills did the right move so far with 20 snaps, ball cap, maybe 30 snaps this week, ball cap, hopefully getting close to normal uh, as you start to approach the Patriots into the uh, Bucks and Bengals. So we'll see at what point he gets full wraps. But I do anticipate two maybe limited days, a third day of getting closer, and then a fourth day, a game of being closer to his regular self. So those that's your Bills injury uh, update here. Um, but as you look at the New York Giants, as we've talked a lot of about a different a lot of different things, um, you know, just to kind of put a bow on them, Brian Dable's offense is not very good. The last week <laughs> offense in the league right now, that is not something you expected to see. They've had some pretty poor play from Marcus McKeithen. Uh, John Michael Schmitz uh, has been injured and, and not looking good. Andrew Thomas looks like he'll be out. Uh, I think Shane Lemieux, their starting left guard, should play. 
They played some snaps from practice squad. Jalen Mayfield, who scored a zero on pro football focus for his performance and struggling right tackle. Evan Neal uh, will be a go as well. Cole Beasley activated to the practice squad just recently. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure he's going to try his best to do his Josh Allen impression and what he likes to do. They got Boogie Basham to bring him um, preseason defensive calls too. So we'll see how, uh, how that looks. So we'll see if the bills do some things in this game, maybe run some more 11 than they're used to maybe some more 12. Um, you know, the 12 is completely different than maybe what Cole Beasley was playing in underneath uh, the bills and, Ken Dorsey. So there is plenty of differences from year to year. And then those receiver weapons, you got, you know, Wondell Robinson, Darius Slay and Isaiah Hodgins, Jalen Hyatt, Paris Campbell, Sterling Shepard, just not a very awe-inspiring unit. Darren Waller is probably their top weapon. They struggle to get him the ball at times. Will Daniel Jones play? And if he does, will he be tentative with that neck injury? Is he going to be able to scan the field? Uh, that's been an issue for him throughout the last neck injury. And Terod Taylor, will we see him play at all? I think it's possible you could see him. I, I think they're stupid. We're going to start there kind of with the Giants talk here because we talked about a lot of other things. Can we talk about these receivers, Kev? Of the Giants? Yeah. Can we talk about them for a second? Do you have numbers? <laughs> I do have some numbers. Okay. Let's talk about and, them. And, and these aren't advanced stats. These aren't the, the fancy metrics I like to use. Sometimes a basic box score is good enough. Paris Campbell, we talked highly about him this, this offseason. We thought he could have been a good guy for the Bills. 16 catches for 85 yards. Mm. He's averaging 5.3 yards per reception. That is horrendous. And you would say, okay, maybe that's one guy on their team that's struggling. What Wandell Robinson, another guy that you'd think, all right, he'll be decent. 14 catches, 79 yards, 5.6 yards per reception. Isaiah Hodgins, the one that got away, the receiver that Bills fans always will be missing until the end of time because of an eight-game stretch last season. Ten catches, 107 yards, one touchdown. I'm missing that 35-catch pace for 350 yards and three touchdowns, Kevin. I'm missing it. That's a, that's a huge loss for us. Darren Waller is the only guy on this entire Giants offense that has done anything. He's the only one that's done anything. 239 uh, receiving yards, 23 receptions. Darius Slayton has 167 receiving yards. Like I said, Isaiah Hodgins has 107. This passing offense is putrid. It's it's disgusting. The offensive line has allowed 30 sacks. Like I said, they're on pace to allow 102 sacks this year. Last year, the team, I don't know the exact team, but I saw this uh, stat earlier today. The team that allowed the most pressures in the league was around 225. The Giants are on pace to allow over 325 pressures this year, which is 100 more than the worst team in the league last year. This offensive line is going to set records for their futility and crappiness this year. And if they get Saquon back, yeah, that might make their life a little bit easier. Until you then realize that even Saquon Barkley hasn't had success this year. 29 carries, 114 yards, 3.9 yards per carry. This Giants offense hasn't just been bad. They have been historically bad through five games. One of the worst offenses that we have ever seen in the history of the NFL at this point uh, in a season. And I want to... I'm trying to find what I had here. It'll be one second. This was from an ESPN 
story earlier. And the quote is, outside of one half against a Cardinals team that just might be tanking on a personnel level this season, the Giants might be the worst offense in the history of the league through five games. After going without an offensive touchdown in Sunday's blowout loss to the Dolphins, putting what they have done into perspective is remarkable, especially given the hype they had in most places heading into the season. They've held a lead for a grand total of 19 seconds all season in five games. 19 seconds. And that's when they were leading Arizona at the very end after pulling back a 21-point comeback. I got one other thing I want to show you guys. A lot of people are upset at Ken Dorsey. They're tired of the the Bills' offense. If you haven't heard, the Bills' offense can't scheme anything open. Who cares that they had the number two scoring offense last year? Who cares that they had the number two DVOA offense last year? Who cares that right now they have the number three DVOA offense, that they're averaging 31.8 points a game, that Josh Allen is on pace for career highs in yards, uh, touchdown passes, completion percentage? Who cares that the running offense is having success for the first time in three, four years, five years, whatever it's been? We all hate Ken Dorsey, right? That's what everybody says. Ken Dorsey can't coach. Well, you know what? Look at Brian Dable throughout his career as an offensive coordinator and a head coach. Look at these numbers. Look at that. Only twice in 10 years as an offensive coordinator or a head coach has Brian Dable had an offense that finished above average. That means 80% of the time that Brian Dable has led a team's offense They've been in the bottom half of the league 80% of the time. We think Leslie Frazier is a bad defensive coordinator at times. Well, he's normally in the top half, and he's had top five, top tens. Brian Dable has only had two seasons in his entire career where he finished with an above-average offense. And those two years, he had Josh Allen as his quarterback. Without Josh Allen as his quarterback, Brian Dable's pure numbers here – are one of the worst offensive coordinators in the history of football based on yards per game and points per game. In fact, Brian Dable has only two seasons in the top five. Based on this Giants performance this season, he's going to have five seasons in the bottom five. So I am so tired of the Dable love, the Dorsey hate. Dable did well in Buffalo. I give him credit. I love it. He went to my high school. He's a good head coach. He overperformed with the Giants last year. They went 9-8, and eight, and he's part of the turnaround with the Bills. I like it, and I think he is a good head coach. But the numbers do not support the love for him. And if we are going to love Dable and say stuff like he's a better head coaching candidate than Sean McDermott, which a lot of people on Twitter and social media have, had, have said over the past year, Let's move on from McDermott. Let's make Brian Dable our head coach. If we're going to say stuff like that, people are crazy. Like, the fact is, at the end of this year, Ken Dorsey will have as many top five offenses in two seasons as an offensive coordinator as Brian Dable in 10 years. Yeah, it's it's, – So it's, so I, it's, so I, I just can't wait for Sunday because I've heard so many people all offseason say how Sean McDermott's not good enough, our window's closing, Ken Dorsey's a sucky offensive coordinator. I can't wait till I, the line's 14 and a half. I can't wait till the Bills go out there and they beat the Giants by 20 plus points. It's the Smucker's Uncrustables Radio Hour with round soft pillowy bread filled with delicious PB&J. Here's your host, Uncrustables. Caller on line three. What's eating you? No one. 
Crust, is that you? Ugh. Uncrustables are the best part of the sandwich. Sorry, Crust. Reimagine this holiday season with more capability and more adventure in Kia's EverReady lineup. This winter, gift yourself what you really want during Kia's Season of Giving Back sales event. Kia is offering great deals on the capable Sorento and the spacious Sportage, and deals on even more vehicles like the all-electric EV6 and the fun-to-drive Forte. So visit your local Kia dealer and explore all your newfound possibilities by enjoying Kia's Season of Giving Back. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Event ends one And everyone that's been talking all this crap all week, all offseason, has to eat their words. And I know they'll just say, well, you just blew out a bad team. I don't care. I'm ready for a Sunday. I'm pumped. It's going to be a fun night in Buffalo and Orchard Park. And this Bills team is going to romp the Giants. And if they don't, well, then I have some concerns. It's an issue, too, because Brian Dable won Coach of the Year last year because he went nine wins with this team. Uh, not a very good team. The, analytically, they weren't very good. You've seen the regression this year. And he won Coach of the Year over Sean McDermott, who had to face a shooting, an ownership issue, a uh, uh, health issue, um, a, a, a terrible storm, uh, a player die on the field to come back. Like there Knox's was a lot. Died. Yes. You had multiple injuries and things off the field like that as well. Just a complete coaching job to get them to 13 wins through the, that adversity to get to a divisional round and win a division and still win more games than they did the prior year, the year that everybody loved under D- Dable. Um, he went, you know, on an average statistical year with a ba- average to bad roster and one night went nine, seven and one, like overall, like I'm not overly impressed. And I thought he stole the coach of the year last year from Sean McDermott, who deserved it not only for his on the field performance, but what he was able to do off the field as well. The nine, seven and one doesn't impress me. I'm sorry. You need double digit wins to win that award at any point of the year. So I don't really care what people say. And then this, this, that did, did Josh make Brian Dable or did Brian Dable make Josh? I'm sick of the argument. Josh Allen made Brian Dable period. Like I'm sick of this one clip we have of him yelling at Josh and getting him under check and you don't get jittery Josh. No, Josh Allen made Brian Dable what he is today and into a head coaching candidate, just like he's going to do for Ken Dorsey. There is enough evidence there that that is proof of that not proof of Brian Dable making Josh Allen who he is today. There's more evidence that Josh Allen is the guy who's going to make plenty of offensive coordinators head coach in this football league and him and Diggs' combo. That's what it's going to take. But let's look at the Bills side of the ball real quickly, guys, in this Giants matchup before we wrap. Kevin, bring us what you think of the Bills' weapons, their receiving core, what we saw a little bit more with, with Hardy, a couple catches there. You know, Diggs is still getting a lot of the receptions, even when Dalton Kincaid's open. Dalton Kincaid is in concussion protocol. I doubt he plays. Only 20% of players have played after a concussion. Um, coming back in with symptoms isn't a great sign on top of the rookie. I think there's only one rookie who has played in a concussion this year. So the odds are not in his favor unless it's something very, very mild uh, so far this season. But I don't anticipate him playing, which means Knox which means Joel Wilson, and it means uh, Quentin Morris. So we'll see how that looks. But I think we're going to get a, le- a little bit more 11 this week, potentially. Kevin, what do you think of the Bills' weapons so far? And what what do you think as a big day under the Giants game? An interesting stat that I found today is that the last time a Bills player not named Stephon Diggs or Gabe Davis went over 100 receiving yards was December 26, 2021. And that was Isaiah McKenzie. 
when he put up 11 catches for 125 yards and a touchdown versus the Patriots. And for what it's worth, Gabe Davis, he caught six balls for 100 yards and a touchdown on Sunday versus Jacksonville. He almost went a full calendar year since he eclipsed the 100-yard mark. The last time he did that was October 9th, 2022, when he erupted for 171 yards versus the Steelers. So the Bills really need to find a third target, maybe even a second target, because Gabe Davis isn't bona fide number two. He's either boom or bust. So you have Josh Allen, you have Stephon Diggs, but what do you have after that? Because if the offense is going to carry this team now with the depleted defense, I need someone else to step up. I need to see them use Dalton Kincaid more once he's healthy. And for what it's worth, Knox is dealing with that wrist injury, so we'll see his availability. But they signed Trent Sherfield. They signed Deontay Hardy. They drafted Justin Shorter, who will be coming back from his short-term IR stint. I need some of these guys to start stepping up. Or maybe I need Ken Dorsey to start use, utilizing them better because something's got to give here. We can't just have Allen and Diggs do everything. And I think Trent Sherfield could be an X factor here. I would love to see more of Trent Sherfield moving forward. I got a, I got a quick response to you. So I agree. Gabe Davis is kind of boomer bust, but I don't think he's the problem. I think the problem is that the bills haven't properly gotten a quality number three receiver to complement Diggs and Davis as one and two. And I'm going to throw some numbers at you because that's what I'm doing today. And I'm having fun doing this. So Gabe Davis right now has about 18 catches for around 320 yards. And I know projections are not always accurate. You're not going to keep the same paces that you're doing. Gabe Davis is on pace for around 61 catches for 1,080 yards and around 13, 12 touchdowns this year. If you heard anybody have 61 catches for 1,100 yards and 12 touchdowns on any other team, would you want them to be the number two receiver on the Bills? Yeah, but again, those are just... So the answer is that Gabe right now is performing at a high level. Right now, though. He's had a touchdown the last four games. Gabe Davis is playing plenty fine right now. And the offense has been clicking. They had a poor game against Jacksonville. That's it. The, the, the issue people have with Gabe Davis isn't that he's a good that isn't that he isn't a good receiver. It's that the Bills use him in a downfield role that leads to higher variance on a weekly basis. Meaning when he gets a good catch that's 30, 25 yards down the field, his stats are going to be good that week. When he doesn't get those plays, his stats are going to be bad that week. It is how he is being used by the Bills. Gabe Davis does not get many short routes. They do not give him easy receptions. He is not going to ever be a high reception guy because of how they utilize him. I mentioned guys on the Giants already, like Paris Campbell and Wondell Robinson. They both have around the same amount of catches as Gabe Davis. Them combined have less than half the yards of Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis is routinely near one of the top receivers in the league for guys with 40-plus receptions in yards per catch. It's a usage thing. They go downfield with him because it opens up other facets of their offense. He has two drops this year. The drops have not been a problem. He had a bad drop at a bad time on Sunday. I agree that he, it killed the drive and it hurt them. But what the Bills need more than someone to take over for Gabe Davis is they need someone to complement Gabe Davis. 
And that was what Dalton Kincaid was brought in to do. And so far, I agree with Kevin. I agree with both of you guys. It, it has, it's been underwhelming based on Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox so far this year. They need those guys to step it up more, to make things flow better. What they need to seriously look into, though, is drafting a receiver to be a solid threat in the slot, to be that three guy, to make things flow even better on this offense. And until they do that, we're going to be looking at Gabe Davis and say, why aren't you performing more? What more does he have to do? He, he, he's one of the top 15 in touchdowns last year for receptions. He was top 35 in yards. He, he he's doing what two number two wide receivers do. He needs to be more consistent, but every single stat backs up. He is a number two receiver in the NFL. That's it right there. Consistency. I agree with what you said. And it's all fine and dandy to say he should have 1,100 yards. And how many touchdowns? 13. But Kevin, it's the role that the Bills are using him. If they decide, you know what, we're just going to give you a couple quick slants or a couple uh, wide receiver screens a game. You add a couple, he would add two more receptions a game. He'd have maybe an extra 20 yards. And then at the end of the day, you would be saying, oh, he's consistent. They are using him in a way that leads to inconsistency. There, that's it's his usage your offensive scheme your offensive coordinator the way you're being put on the field has as much to do with your production as what your as what your talent is in we've done this at cover one we've looked into the numbers we have the analytics we have the metrics we've looked at this the route tree that he is asked to run limits his production when it comes to having a more consistent game he gets asked to make tougher plays that are more downfield, that are lower probability throws for Josh Allen. It, it, like I, I'll, I'll be real. Like I need him. I, I, I want more for him. I want more for this Bills offense um, in general. But one thing that a lot of times we do as fans is we want, 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 want more from our team. But then we don't look across the league and ask, what is the average number two wide receiver doing in the NFL? Do you know what the average number two receiver in the NFL does production-wise? It's, a, it's around 700 yards. And it ain't 70 catches. It ain't 80 catches. Gabe Davis was 800-plus last year. He missed some time. In fact, if he didn't have the high ankle sprain, it's safe to assume Gabe Davis would have finished with over 900 yards and maybe eight or nine passing uh, touchdown receptions last year. So I, I get it. And I understand your points. And it's been points that people have been making all over social media. And it's points that I hear on the radio. And it's points I've heard even analysts nationally say. They could be better. But there's not. There's a lot of other teams across this league that would love a guy like Gabe Davis as their number two receiver. One thing I just want to say real quick is, again, I agree with what you're saying, that they ask him to do different things. But maybe that means we should have a conversation about Ken Dorsey because, again, it's all fine and dandy to say that he could – finish with 1100 yards or he should but will he and maybe that comes back to Ken Dorsey maybe Gabe needs to line up in the slot maybe we need a quick slant or a quick out route we just need to get that production I don't care how they do it but they need to get that production behind digs who has the most snaps behind if you do Ken Dorsey's so Ken Dorsey now has been the offensive coordinator for 21 regular season games for the Bills. 29 and a half points a game. 
I'm, I'm just saying, like some some of this has to just stop. This it, it has to stop. Like I, I'm just Kevin. I, I I just can't do it anymore. Like 29 and a half points a game in 21 games as an offensive coordinator. And we're talking about this guy being an awful offensive coordinator. The rest of the league looks at Bills fans and they think we're we're stupid when we say stuff like that. They think we're stupid. Kansas City didn't average 29 and a half points a game last year. We really had to stop with the Dorsey hate. We look foolish to the entire rest of the league when we call out an offensive coordinator that is averaging nearly 30 points a game. I don't think you're talking specifically to me, but I don't think he's awful. I, I'm not I talking just... to you. I'm talking out. There was articles from people in league circles written a couple weeks ago. Ken Dorsey is widely regarded already as a top five to 10 offensive coordinator, according to executives and other higher management guys across the NFL. He's looked at as an upper echelon offensive coordinator. The only place that doesn't think that Ken Dorsey is an upper echelon offensive coordinator is Buffalo and our fan base. At some point, our fan base needs to be more realistic about how we evaluate our own team and how we scapegoat certain individuals on our team. When the offense struggles, we always blame it on the offensive coordinator. We never blame it on the quarterback. We, we don't blame it on certain other guys. Think about it. Last year, they had one of the worst offensive – if we put all these stats, the things in context. They had one of the worst offensive lines in football. We just agreed that – you just said that they didn't really have any talent outside of Stephon Diggs. They didn't have a two-receiver. They didn't have Dalton Kincaid on this offense last year. So the Bills last year had a crap offensive line, no skill players besides Stephon Diggs, and Dawson Knox was their primary tight end. Yet they scored 28 and a half points a game. How did they do it then? And, and you can't just say Josh Allen because then that's giving all the credit to Josh. So then if, if you give all the credit to Josh, when the team scores 10 points in the playoffs, you got to give all the, the blame on Josh. So we got we to be consistent. Dorsey can coach. Sean McDermott has been with Dorsey since his days in Carolina. Josh handpicked Dorsey to replace Dable. Dorsey ain't going anywhere. I, I, we just need to start keeping perspective and keeping things more consistent and rational with our evaluations of this team. A receiver three, by the way, is a slot receiver. I'm sick of hearing that Gabe Davis is a good receiver three. Don't know what that even means when people say stuff like that. I, I it, That one is what bothers me the most. Like, Receiver three in an offense is a slot receiver. So if you're saying he's a receiver four, like a third boundary receiver, don't understand what you mean. If you if you think that he's a receiver three, meaning you want to give him half the snaps and play him in the slot, don't even know what that means. Like when you say that he's a receiver three, I, I hear that too a lot, a lot. He's like, I hear that all the time, actually. He's a good receiver three. What does that mean? Like he's, you need two boundaries, a slot receiver, and then he's your fourth receiver. I don't even understand what like the, the terminology of like calling him a receiver three is because the receiver threes are slot receiver in an offense. So you're, you're saying like, I think he's a receiver four. Anyways, his numbers are elite. He ranks in the top 10 in every single receiver two categories. He borderlines on receiver one uh, in a lot of categories as well. He's played better than Devonte Smith with all of his metrics. So at some point it is what it is. Like he, maybe there's some things you like better about Smith and that's fine, but he's an upper echelon receiver two then. 
He's been better than T. Higgins this year. I don't know what we're doing. Not we're discrediting him. All he's done is play, and you'll see what contract he gets, whether he plays up to it this year or not. Don't really know yet what's going to happen in that situation going forward. Um, but it's time to bring you our score predictions. There is a game on Sunday, and we're looking forward to seeing what the Bills are able to do. We're going to keep it the same. Um, Mike, Kevin, myself, we're going to go bring it around the horn. Mike is now, you know, three and two in his predictions. Kevin drops to four and one. I dropped to three and two. So we're going to start with Mike. Uh, we're going to bring it around the horn. And we're also going to see who gets the closest score prediction this week, and we'll, we'll bring it up. Because uh, this could be a wide variance of scores here. So we're going to start with Mike to bring us home with what he thinks. And this score prediction is brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsofeerie.com. Get out there and check all of their great artwork that is recommended by players and former players as well. Mike, bring us bring us into your score prediction. We're going to have the worst for first, and that's why we have me right now. So I appreciate that. And Donna, I am not okay right now. I am I am crazy, as you can tell, all this show uh, Syracuse, Kevin, uh, and Masseri, I still love you guys, even though I, I feel bad that you guys had to put up with me today. Uh, <laughs> no ill will uh, between us. Uh, I will say this. I, I feel confident. I felt confident about this game all year. I said five months ago that we'd be double-digit favorites in this game. That's when Giants fans were telling me that they were a playoff team. The Giants suck. Like, they are horrible. And I, I mean that in the kindest way possible. Like, I, I root for the Giants when they're not playing the Bills. I want them to be good. I want the best for Brian Dable. Uh, I have a soft spot for Daniel Jones being a Duke quarterback uh, who has some good traits. I I want the Giants to be a good team, but everything points to them being one of the worst teams in football. I told you the sack numbers. They have they've allowed 30 sacks, but they only have five sacks themselves on defense. Their passing numbers are horrible. They're running – uh, numbers are horrible. The, their defensive numbers are horrible. I'll be nice. I'll say Bills 42 to 17. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Kevin, bring us in. What do you think? Tell us what you think of this score prediction and why. I'm very interested to see where these three scores uh, wind up this week. I don't think I'm as confident as Mike, but I think this should definitely be a big win for the Bills. And if it's not, we're seriously going to have some questions moving forward. So I'm going to take Buffalo. 31 to 13. I want to say 10, maybe even seven, but based on all the injuries on defense, I'm going to give the Giants the benefit of the doubt a little bit. I think they are going to score at least a couple of times. I don't know if the Bills offense is totally going to be clicking. So I'm going to take a modest 31 to 13. Yeah, you're not too far away from Mike's. Um, yeah, we're pretty close. Yeah, you guys, you guys, oh, that's you what, guys are five, six touchdowns. Kevin, I, I trust you more than I trust me. You're four and one. I, I'm behind you right now. So I think what's interesting about this game is that like this could be, and I hate saying this all the time, guys. This could be their Super Bowl. Like they play on Sunday night football. Everyone thinks they stink. Um, I think they stink. Mike thinks they stink. Kevin pretty much thinks they stink. Um, gives them a little bit, a tiny bit more credit, but they're not very good. And I think that's kind of when you can see a team play up to a certain level. Um, they're coming into Buffalo. I think that's what the Bills have going for them in this specific game. If this was in New York again, I would feel weird. Um, I wouldn't feel weird about a loss, but I would feel weird about a close game. Bills are going to pull this game out. I think they're going to assert their offensive dominance. Um, I have a I have a score prediction. 
37 to 27. I think that the Giants will score some points in this football game. That is my prediction. I think that their Bills are going to be figuring some stuff out on defense. And I think it's a 10-point game. I think they cover the spread. But ultimately, it's never really in risk. I don't believe that this game is ever in risk. And I think the Bills will show you that their offense will continue to tick on all cylinders and continue to win a football game and be frustrated at times if Saquon Barkley plays. This, This score prediction is based on Jones and Barkley playing. Uh, like I think that they will, and them getting some back, some other offensive line. But the Bills' offensive line can change this game in a hurry. They've allowed the most sacks. The Bills have sacked the most. We've we've heard all the statistics so far on the epic levels of sacks they're going to allow and how many the Bills could end up with. So that's what we that's what we have with our score predictions. We'll see. Um, you know who hones in right. Will Mike get a pretty much a blowout? Will Kevin get something a little pretty much a blowout, a little bit more moderate, or will I get a shred of a two score game? You know between. Uh, nine and, and 14 points. We'll see who uh, who rings in the victory there because I didn't think anyone here would pick the Giants in this one. And we'll bring Mark Schofield on the show next week, one of our favorite guests. Mark Schofield will be with us live next week to talk Patriots. So that should be fun. He's got a slew of insight, always gives good good talks about the Bills, and we'll give be realistic with the Patriots, one of the best uh, guests that we have out there. So I'm looking forward to that one as well. And the Bills could rip off some victories here. Um, as this is the time to do it. This is the time to get back on track before the Bengals game. And we'll see where the Bengals are at at that point, but they need the wins. Now they need to beat a Bucks team. They need to beat a Patriots team. They need to beat a Giants team and they need to see how they look with a, with a very winnable rematch against the Bengals. And we'll see where they're at as well within their progression and their struggles. One of the worst first six game teams I've ever seen. We'll see if they can pick it up again or if they'll continue to struggle uh, again. But Kevin, We'll have a final takeaway from you as we wrap the show. Give us your final takeaways for uh, for this weekend. There we go. <laughs> My mute was mud. Um, that was the best stuff you said all day, man. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that, Mike. Uh, one thing that I want to say about the offense to add on to my point about needing someone to step up. Last week, I finished the show by saying that Josh Allen was electric from under center and the play action. His stats were 27 to 33 for 451 yards, five touchdowns, and a perfect passer rating of 158.3. I don't know his official numbers now, but I know that the Bills only ran play action five times on Sunday, and Josh scored twice on those. So I need to see the Bills run more play action moving forward, especially if we're going to rely on this offense even more so. And one other nugget that I found, Seven former Bills players on this Giants team, whether they're on the active roster or not, and three coaches slash personnel between Dable, Joe Shane, and Bobby Johnson. There you go. Bobby Johnson um, having one of the, the worst seasons ever coaching the Giants O-line. Uh, but many Bills fans are happy to upgrade from him to Aaron Cromer. So there you have it. Um, we'll see what the Bills are able to do this weekend, but we have some, some score predictions roaring in. Um, as we speak, everybody leave a comment below, please smash the like button. It helps us bring content to the show and across the cover one sports network. We really appreciate everybody tuning in Kevin's, um, Kevin's debate as well as Mike's rants. So we look forward to kind of recapping all of this and more next week. We'll see where we're at. We'll see what the bills look like. And we'll see kind of some of the answers to some of these injury questions. And if the bills push players like Benford and Russo, so, so those will be answered just shortly. And, uh, next week we will have, like I said, Mark Schofield on, um, as well to talk Patriots. And that'll be a fun one too, as we recap 
you know, probably, you know, hopefully a, a big Bills victory that there's not a, too, a ton to take away. Maybe we'll have some some new players to talk about there with the defensive line rotation, the linebacker position and others. And maybe we'll see. We'll see if they run a lot of 11. Maybe receiver pops out of nowhere. Will they play a lot of Quentin Morris? Will they play a lot of Joe Wilson from the practice squad? We'll have to see how the Bills weapons turn out if Dalton Kincaid is undoubtedly um based on statistics, unable to go. So that's a wrap from the Going Deep podcast. Your host is always Kevin Masseri here with Mike Bunt and producer Kevin bringing you the best from inside Bills land. We appreciate everybody tuning in. And as always, this show is brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. Until we see you next week, Tuesday at 7 o'clock, we really appreciate everybody being here. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.